Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Podcast Monday. After a long hiatus from podcasts in general lately, I think I took a couple weeks off there. And also a hiatus from the Mothering series, which I just have gotten away from for whatever reasons over the last, I don't know, I don't even know the last time I did one, but there's about, I want to say eight to 10 in the Mothering series here on Taking Back Birth. And I was just feeling really inspired today to share about my magical children, wanting to share some stories with you and hopefully just inspire you, whether you have children or not, that we are all special, that we are all magical and really feeling into what that means for us, especially if we are raising children and having intentions around how we want to do that. So that sounds a little vague, but let's do it. Let's talk about magical children today. I did Google what magic means to the dictionary. I know what it means to me, but I was just kind of curious. I don't know that that's something I've done. And so, of course, if you Google magical, uh, it really wants to just talk about magic, which I was happy to read about here. But I don't agree necessarily, as I often don't, with these mainstream definition of things. I love the word magic. In fact, Margo and I have a new project you may have heard about. Uh, It isn't quite launched yet. And that's called Magical Women. We can't wait to get that website out into the world and start offering all kinds of things there that aren't really birth related. So I obviously, we obviously love this word magic. And it's something that has felt really resonant to me, really close to my heart for the last few years. That when I tune in, It is a feeling, it is an actual vibration to feel magic, to feel magical. And I think it's just a great sparkly word. There definitely are different interpretations out there as there are for many words. And I'm not going to go into maybe the more negative version or people that think this is evil. If that's you, I don't know, maybe this podcast just is not for you. Because I think magic is what we are. And that's why I guess I didn't really need to know what a dictionary thought before now. I know that being connected to whatever higher power, and for me, I wouldn't say it's God, I would say it's the universe, it's spirit, Um, you know, it's the great one, whoever. That is magic. And it's magic because in being connected to something bigger, for me, I realized that that is being connected to myself at the highest level. That is the highest version of myself, of my soul. 
So that is a key difference, I think, and I know, between organized religion that really teaches people to look outside of themselves for God, for the magic. Um, I think we are that, and we are always that, and we are connected to that, and we come from that, and we go back to that. So having magical children, when you put it like that, is, yes, it's special, but it's not reserved for certain people. We are all connected. We are all magical. So looking at the dictionary just quickly here, uh, there's definitely a more like Hollywood definition. The art or practice of using charms, spells, or rituals to attempt to produce supernatural effects. Hmm, that's very dramatic. Although I would say, yes, I'm definitely going to share stories about charms, spells, and rituals. But this is not the show Charmed or some Disney movie. Um, I think magic happens in really ordinary ways. And that's part of the problem in a way uh, is that the mainstream world, the, you know, the narrative, especially the religious narrative, wants us to think it's evil, wants us to think it's something weird and creepy and dark outside of ourselves so that we don't access it. So we don't know how powerful we are. Um, So I think it is on purpose that definitions like that exist, even though I do agree there's some truth. Let's see, a mysterious quality of enchantment. Perhaps, although what does enchantment mean, I guess? Uh, Relating to the supernatural. And yeah, again, that's where I disagree in a way. I think the natural form of children especially is magical. They don't need to be supernatural. They're just kids. And that makes them what they are that makes them magic. And that makes them, from my experience, have an easier connection to themselves and to their inherent magic. So yeah, I'd argue with this definition for sure, that it's not supernatural, that it's completely natural to be magical. Possessing distinctive qualities that produce unaccountable or baffling effects That could be in a sense. And again, we have this dramatic Hollywood idea of magic tricks where reality is distorted or we're kind of tricked, right? Because some magic tricks are a sleight of hand. They are not what we think. And so there's this element of magic being something maybe dishonest. And of course, that's also not what I'm talking about. Let me see how many more do I want to cite here? Hmm. Possessing or considered to possess mysterious powers? Perhaps, again, is it mysterious to be so connected to source or to the earth that you maybe receive information about something or are able to exert your power of control over a certain situation? Is that mysterious? And again, I'd say the mainstream narrative wants us to think that it is and that there is no rhyme or reason when, again, we are born magical. And with children, it's just a matter of maintaining that and in some cases reminding them. Let's see, one more here. Any extraordinary influence or power. So again, similar theme. Yes, I would say it is about our own power. Is it extraordinary? I don't think so. I think it's completely ordinary and built into what we are as humans. 
On that note, let's talk about magical children even more. When I was thinking and making some notes this morning, I just Googled this stuff right now. I hadn't looked at this till right now. But when I was making notes, there definitely is an element of children nowadays. And I think many of us, and I would put myself in this category as well. um, You know, there's lots of like words or phrases that might describe their energetics, right? And, And this is a huge topic. But Crystal, crystal children, indigo children are just two of the things I can think of. Um, I think I've talked about star seeds, or maybe I haven't. Maybe that was in a midwifery school related lecture. Um, this concept of many humans, many souls here being directed to be here on earth for specific, and I think. Um, benevolent and very positive and influential reasons and projects. So I identify with this concept of being a starseed. And my children, I think for sure, are starseeds, if, if not even sort of more advanced or complex than that, and possibly from other places, from other dimensions or realities. Um, So I guess I'm contradicting myself a little bit. Maybe that is extraordinary. You know, maybe being magical does include people, places, things, and souls that are coming in from other dimensions, other lifetimes, other places, and they truly are special. But I still stand by my initial thought, which is we are all magical in one way or another, whether or not we think we're starseeds or know that. My friend Amber Rainma, who is a close friend and is a womb shaman, as she calls herself, um, she is often referencing uh, this, this group, these children that are coming in, these souls, these advanced souls, as the new grid kids. And I like that too. So there are so many ways we might reference the kids that are coming in now, the babies that are coming in as different and maybe not more magical per se, but giving it this extra element of dimension and teachings. And to me, knowing that my kids are at very advanced souls, to know that they are also here to teach me. So I'm sharing raising them in this lifetime in these bodies where they have incarnated as my children, that's the relationship, but knowing full well that we've probably had other lifetimes, other relationships where they were the teachers. And I'll share maybe some of those stories. So to share a little bit about my background, because I think it helps put this in context, I did not grow up being supported necessarily in the magic that I am, that, you know, all of us are again. So maybe you relate to that. I don't know that a lot of people were. And so that is the invitation partly today in raising these children that we might intend to raise them a different way. Because our own magic wasn't recognized by our parents. And here we are as adults reclaiming it. So let's save our children that step and never have them forget. Because really, it's a matter of forgetting 
who you are and where you came from and what you're capable of. I grew up as a Catholic, although I say that so hesitantly because I never identified with this. And I felt very wise as a child. I know that might sound strange. And maybe some of you identify with maybe memories of your childhood or kind of a deep knowing that you had. Um, For example, this is not related necessarily to magic or spirit. But when I was a child, I never trusted banks, even when I was a tiny child. And I remember my mom wanting me to get a bank account as I got to be a teenager. And it just sounded like a bad idea. I was so comfortable and used to, you know, keeping my money in my room. And I had made money. I was babysitting a lot as a kid. Um, And I remember like where I kept it and how it was all rolled up in these neat little containers. And so it's not what I'm talking about, but just this really deep wisdom. And in this case, a distrust of the system, even when I was tiny. And I had no idea where that came from. My parents are completely mainstream. No one had ever mentioned the idea of keeping your money out of the bank. Like it just came from somewhere within. So similar in this rejection of religion. I was forced to go to church when I was a child. And I was forced to do the ritual that Catholicism is and offers. So First Communion uh, later is a confirmation. And so I was forced to do those things, which really, now that I think about it, is quite terrible to force a person to do any of that, especially with so little depth. So I wouldn't say my parents were strong Catholics. They're not now. They weren't then. But in their families, that's how they were raised, you know, just like you have your baby at the hospital, you go to church. And so it wasn't questioned by them. And even though I was questioning it as a young child, that was not allowed. I was not permitted. And I remember getting to the age where they couldn't force me anymore. And I don't remember that necessarily being an issue or a fight, but it was so relieving to me. Uh, Mainstream religion was something I knew deeply was wrong for me. And I don't necessarily see the benefits, um, you know, to others. I, I, it's something that I think coming in the big picture uh, from somewhere else, you know, and, and maybe being different, I've never understood organized religion. It always just looked and felt very fake and insincere and cultish ironically. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that was the setup for me is knowing deeply that wasn't where I belonged and not even understanding it in a sense. Like I wasn't trying to be difficult. And even now, like this isn't meant to be cynical. It's not meant to um, trigger people or like offend them. It's just, if I'm being really honest, I don't understand. Because I think I knew from a very early age that there is a divine plan. This isn't like an atheist vision. You know, it wasn't like I never believed in anything, but I believed in my own power. 
more than I believed in a God outside of myself. And it never made sense to me how we had to please this strange man and how he would punish people. I mean, there's just so many beliefs about religion that for me, again, even as a young child, I was like, that doesn't really make sense. And that's not something I want in my life. So um, being magical to me back then, even though that wasn't how I was thinking, meant a rejection of that. And, you know, those two things might go together for some people. I'm not drawing the box of how this needs to look. I'm sure there are, and I know there are, religious people out there who are highly spiritual and feel very at home in their faith and super connected. That was just never me. That's not why I came here. I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> it didn't make sense. Um, and so for me, you know, having experiences as a, as a child where I would see things uh, like spirits and stuff and had very intense dreams, even as a young, young child. I mean, I can remember being probably four years old and having a really horrifying, scary dream, but not just dreaming, like feeling the presence of something and being affected by it. So that wasn't something my parents encouraged. My mom would listen. Side note, I think my mom's side, her mother, you know, back farther, even though, funny, um, on paper, these were the Catholic women. My grandma, her mom, went to church every single day of her life. Uh, That was the side that I believe there to be witchy behavior on. So uh, my mom makes sense that she would listen to me when I had these kind of encounters. And my dad never did. He never really wanted to hear it, wasn't interested Uh, So I think many people can resonate with that kind of stuff in all kinds of ways. When we're kids, maybe our parents don't take us seriously when we have an imaginary friend or, you know, whatever it is. Like there's so many ways that I think show that children are still magically connected to wherever they came from. And our society, of course, is so easy to dismiss that and to invalidate them and to make them feel stupid or crazy or, oh, they're just kids, they're pretending, um, when really, to me, all of that is super serious. So I think I've changed the path of parenting in my line, and Jason has too, for sure, because he grew up in a very similar way, uh, religious-wise, not Catholic, though. Um, We've changed the vibration of our parenting and nothing our kids tell us or or share that they've experienced is crazy. It is all listened to. It is all accepted. And maybe even on the other side of the spectrum, taking it very seriously and teaching them skills again to deal with whatever they're going through. So that is a little bit of history. Um, I knew I would do it differently than my parents. And I don't have hard feelings. You know, my parents did the best they could. They raised us the way they were raised. But at some point along the line, and I'm not sure exactly when it happened, probably after Amelia was born, I just knew I wouldn't do it that way, that my kids would never go to church 
that they would never have to go through these religious rituals and that I would do things differently. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know because as far as my own exploration into magic and my own powers, I hadn't done a whole lot yet. So I didn't even know. It's not like I had a list of, oh, I'm going to teach my kids these things. I just knew kind of what I wasn't going to do. And so through all of my pregnancies, I was taught so much. I was shown so much as far as the fact that these souls are incarnating wise they are wise. They are not babies. And again, they are coming with tools. They are coming with techniques. They are coming with magical abilities that may or may not go beyond even what's ordinary. So yes, I did say I think we're all ordinarily magic, um, but there are just really wild things I think these kids have access to. And it's really fun. It's really fun to be taught by them and learn more. A side anecdote. We were walking down the street the other day and there was a very large church and it was very beautiful, as I really do think many churches are. They're really ornate and all of that. And we were with Deva, who's four, and she did notice what a beautiful building it was. And so she wanted to know what it was. And I told her it was a church. And she said, What's that? And Jason and I both laughed because, you know, she's four. So (laughs) how would she know otherwise? Uh, And Jason said, I think we've done a good job here. Um, He's sort of been burned in a sense by organized religion. Um, I don't feel that way, but he has a little bit of that. So uh, that has been some of his motivation, not all, in making sure that our kids really never stepped foot inside a church, um, you know, in a forceful way. I know that a couple of my kids have been to church with friends and um, that's totally fine. We're not trying to act like it doesn't exist or shelter them beyond what is um, normal, but it's not a choice that anyone has made. And my guess is I'm sure none of them will make that choice. How magical they'll decide to be, though, is definitely on the table as a choice. And as I share kind of some stories, um, you'll feel that there is a theme in a sense that there are kids of mine that are really engaged in what they're capable of. And generally, that is the younger set. And again, I think that's for a great reason. It's because they haven't lost it. And if they're encouraged in it, it really develops. And some of the older kids who I might not share stories about, um, it's because, you know, I'm not going to say they're not connected because I don't know that that's true, but I don't necessarily have stories about because, you know, they're not sharing them or it's kind of like a private thing or they're just not that interested. And that's totally fine, too. Ah, Water break. This office gets so dry. Before I share some stories, which really I thought would be the bulk of this podcast, just wanted to share some beliefs that I do hold that may not be surprising that have really directed my parenting of these magical children because it is purposeful. So I did mention them teaching us as much as we teach them or remind them that magic and magical things and all of the elements I want to talk about from nature to 
animal communication that I might mention um, is playful and joyful. That, you know, the people out there that maybe this is new for or have some kind of preconceived notions or bias, again, around magic being evil or dark, uh, you know, people are entitled to that, but that is not what I've ever thought or practiced. And of course, that is not what we're teaching our children. Um, this isn't about, you know, evil spells or um, any of that. It's all about playfulness and light and being joyful and loving life in this human form and all the ways that we have to do that. Another belief is that the earth is their mother. (sighs) And I think if more of us grew up that way, and not just heard that, but really felt that deeply and internalized that, there would be so much less trauma. We've talked about the mother wound on other podcasts, and that's something that most people are aware of what that means. Um, But mother wound isn't just not being in right relationship with your biological human mother in this life. It is being out of alignment with the earth, which produces all kinds of problems. One of which is we do often look to our human mothers in this life to be all to us. And this is a whole other podcast, but there is one out there I did already with my friend Devin on the mother wound, if you haven't heard it. But anyway, this idea that the earth is our true mother would save a lot of people, specifically women, probably men too, a lot of strife. And so I want my kids to know that I am not the be all and end all. I am not their everything. I am not perfect. I cannot provide for them past a certain point. I cannot ensure their happiness. Um, I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to do things that traumatize them and damage them because I am a human and I am in a relationship with them. So this idea that we are from the earth, we go back to the earth, that absolutely everything we need comes from the earth. And think about it. Um, Even if you're not into like this more spiritual view, even if you're a religious person, uh, prove to me that, you know, you you aren't made from the earth like you are. And God might be a part of that. Spirit is definitely a part of that. Like, how do we manifest as humans? It's amazing and it's mysterious. But the practical side is we are built from earth and then we are grown on earth and that's how we survive. And without that, we would not survive. And when we die, we go back to earth. So as many opportunities as I have, To say that out loud to my children, especially the little ones that are more impressionable maybe and and more open when we're out playing, when we have our feet on the grass, when we're, you know, enjoying the land or, or getting water or whatever it is, it's reminding them, this is where you come from. This is your mother. And I'm, I'm your mom. I'm your mom in this life and I love you. Um, But this is your mother. Another belief is that we can create, we are creative beings inherently, and the power of intention is huge. So even as I mentioned in beginning to parent, I didn't know how, I didn't know when or what, but my intention was to raise my children differently. And I didn't even use the word magical. I just knew that I would want them to be raised with a different belief system. 
another belief, so to speak, there are other realities and dimensions that we have access to. We are not the only beings. We are not the only beings on earth, and that's obvious, but we're not the only beings um, in the universe, in the cosmos, you know, planetarily speaking. And I'm not saying I know what's out there. I just know that there's all kinds of possibilities. There are all wild kind of things like different timelines and, you know, it is not what we think. Time is a construct. And so even conversations like that, these are regular things that happen in our house. Uh, And Jason's really great at it. You know, one day, one of my kids will probably write a book about these things and their experience. I think Amelia has, has mentioned it. And that will be great because they don't get the typical answer to any question in our house. So, you know, even something silly like that. What time is it? Well, time is a construct. That's all. (laughs) Uh, What dimension are you talking about? Right. And lastly, and, and this is not all inclusive. This is just like what I came up with today for this on this idea of soul family, this idea that we've all been together before in different bodies, different sexes, different relationships. And we meet up again here now in these relationships. And I do think this is deeply true. Um, Great books to read if you're new to that idea would be Michael Newton's Journey of Souls. And he has a couple of other books that I can't recall the name of, but that's definitely his name. I'm usually really bad at authors. Michael Newton. Um, And they're just really fantastic books, even if you're just curious. So the idea being not just with our kids or our parents or our siblings, but even our close friends, that we are soul family. And I don't know um, if you all know what that feels like, but it's something to maybe ponder or think about, uh, you know, when you're meeting new people, because sometimes you feel like you've met people before. So these are normal conversations in our house that we could have been in other relationships when we were in other lives. My daughter ever is very connected and I might have the most stories about her today. I don't know. But when she was very small, she would tell me that she was my mom and she would nurse me and hold me and she would really go into detail. And one day I just said, what was my name when I was your baby? And she said, Summer. So now she doesn't necessarily remember that. I think when they get out of that ethereal stage of, you know, two to three years old, where they don't realize they're a separate human. They have a lot more to share. And she's, again, super connected now, but she didn't even remember saying that. Um, My son, Rune, I think I've shared when he was really tiny, he said he remembered his diaper being changed on a spaceship. I do not kid you. So uh, all kinds of stories, if you ask children about where they've come from. And This is not new to me. Uh, It might be new to you, but I'm certainly not the only one saying these sorts of things. In fact, I just read a book and I think it's called, um, oh dear, Babies Are From the Cosmos or something like that. And it's a whole book of anecdotes and stories of kids that are like, oh yeah, my last life I did this. And when I was in utero, you know, when I was in your belly, mom, I remember this. I remember feeling this way. And then, of course, it lines up with some huge event maybe the mom had going on in life. Like, so there's all kinds of of threads there from just pre-birth communication, if you want to think of it that way, to access to other lifetimes, to other realities. So again, all of this is common 
common thread, common conversation in our house. And not because we know it all. I think there's so much more to explore. But these are the things my kids are growing up with, which some days kind of makes me laugh because it's just so different. And when my parents are around, which funny, they never really are, but they were last night. Uh, you know, my kids know in a way. It's just like they know what to say or what not to say. And there's just certain things they wouldn't say around people that don't believe them or don't believe these same things uh, because they also know that feeling of maybe feeling ridiculed or, you know, feeling silly. Um, my parents are probably pretty good at that. So they know when to keep it quiet. I don't think they're um, out in the world necessarily talking about these things, but at the same time, I think that's fine too. This isn't something to be hidden, but it certainly helps to have people around that understand. And it's not something you're trying to convince anyone of, right? It's just like, hey, if this resonates, uh, then go for it. So let's see. I just have like a collection of notes and random stories. Um, The most recent uh, was Deva. And Deva is a really strong soul. Before she was born, and this is spirit baby related, and I may have shared this other places, I knew her. I knew her and I knew her name and I knew her personality and I could feel as a spirit baby how badly she wanted to incarnate. And just yesterday actually uh, was the birth of our son, Sable, anniversary of his birth. And of course, many of you know he was a late miscarriage, so he was not alive when he was born and we knew that, but that was yesterday. He would have been five and Deva wouldn't be here. You know, the other kids after him Deva Cove and Rumi wouldn't be here. So it really isn't a day of sadness for me, but it definitely is a day of reflection. And just like, wow, life is wild, you know, like life could have gone in this direction on this timeline, but it went on this one. And Deva came next. And um, yeah, she was just so powerful in her presence, even before I was pregnant with her. So fast forward, she's four, she's almost five, actually. And she's coming into her power in a sense. Um, she's an Aries, so she's a fire sign. She's our only fire sign, sun sign. And recently, she had been sleeping in our room, which isn't a huge problem on most days, but started to feel really draining to me because she was like talking to me in the middle of the night and waking me up. And sleeping on a hard floor, how well could she be sleeping? And mostly there was just this feeling of like dependence that she had. So I was talking to my mentor about it, actually. And, you know, she's like, you have to make your child feel powerful. Like, don't make her feel like a baby. And, you know, I think this goes for many of us at different times in life with different children. Like we do kind of enable them. And sometimes it's for our own (laughs) protection in a sense. Because we don't want to disrupt the apple cart. And if we don't enable a child, well, what will happen then? So it was great for me to be called out on this by my elder. (sighs) We need more elders. That's what. Um, Yeah, so valuable to be called out in that way and say, hey, you're not helping her. She's a powerful being. And so you need to resolve this and remind her of her power. So I did. I came up with a little plan and I said, hey, Deva, um, you're not going to sleep in my room anymore because you are a strong and powerful fire fairy. And for so long, 
that's been what we say. She knows she's a fire fairy. Uh, side note, she had started a fire in our room, which was another, um, you know, another indication that it was time. And all is well. Nobody got hurt. It was all fine. But she did accidentally sort of start a fire. And, you know, you could laugh about it if you're a real witchy person, because here you have this Aries little girl and she's kind of playing with her power. And, and what does an Aries do but start a fire? It makes perfect sense. <laughs> And it scared her. So anyway, it was kind of all wound up into this story of like, hey, Deva, you're really powerful. Like you you started some fire, you know, and it's time for you to sleep with your other sisters in the room. And we're going to go to the witchy shop. We're going to go to the magic shop. And you're going to pick out some special things that help keep you safe and make you feel like you're as strong as you are. So, uh, you know, things like that certainly didn't happen in my childhood. But I don't know that there were stores like that anyway. Um, You know, although maybe my mom would enjoy them. She probably would to a certain extent. But uh, anyway, brought Deva to this beautiful store and she picked out just what resonated with her. I didn't direct her. I didn't tell her what they were for. She can't read. So she picked out a beautiful rose quartz, which is just a really like bright, loving, totally safe feeling like mother stone. And so she's been sleeping with that under her pillow. And she also picked out kind of the opposite side, which was a black obsidian moon, which is really great for repelling negative energy, really, and protecting you and and really repelling anything. Obsidian is great at reflecting back. So this little witch, uh, without even knowing exactly in her head what she was doing, picked two amazing stones to use and and to feel powerful with. And so we put them under her pillow and every night she makes sure they're there and she's been sleeping great. Oh, she also picked out a magic wand, like so a legit magic wand made for adults. It's not a toy, but it's really gorgeous. And of course, once again, without being able to read, without even knowing what she was picking, she picked a dragon wand. A dragon, of course, being fire. So once again, aligning with her fire nature and and choosing this beautiful wand, which she will learn how to use. So I was well aware that, yes, yeah, she's young. Um, you know, she watches shows. And so uh, she had in her mind that maybe this wand would grant her her every wish. And that was another great discussion of raising a magical child to be like, hey, uh, yeah, real magic is inside of you. And I will teach you how to do that. And it's really about your energy. You know, this isn't a Disney movie. You don't wave it and get a cookie. Like, that's not magic. And let's let's erase that from <laughs> our consciousness. Um, but you're also probably kind of young to direct your energy like this. So we can save it. It was more the point that she had picked it out. And, you know, at the very least, I don't know that she sort of gathered this at her young age, but I was like, you can just protect your room with it, right? So part of her reason for sleeping with me is that she was scared. And I don't think that's not true, you know? And again, another opportunity to sometimes shame children or ridicule them and, oh, what are you scared of? There's nothing in here. Don't say that because a lot of these children do see things and there are things in there. They're just not something you're seeing. They're not something that you have access to because you've closed yourself off as an adult. So I would never tell my children, no, that's not true. There's nothing in here. Um, My response is you are powerful and you don't have to let anything in that doesn't belong there. So 
Here are your magic stones. You're also just a powerful little girl. And if you want to have good dreams and, you know, be in a safe room that feels great, then that's what your intention is. So that was really fun. I won't lie. I really, of course, love taking them places like that and engaging in this kind of play and conversation. Ever, of course, saw the magic wand and was immediately envious, as I knew she would be. She's the ultimate little witch in our house and old enough in a way to know how to direct it as best she can. She's a really powerful dreamer, and I won't go into that now, but that's something that is a thing for me and also Amelia, my oldest. And and I'm not sure about my mom, my grandma. Like I think it's probably something that's been passed down. And by that, I mean our dreams are mm, not prophetic per se, but really accurate and really intricate and, um, you know, involve particular people and things. It's like they're not ordinary dreams a lot of the time. So Ever is already aware of that. And she has really interesting experiences um, in the dream space. So she was sharing one and it was sort of disturbing in a way. She had a dream she was a ghost. So she had a dream she was dead and she couldn't like see anyone or feel anyone. And she woke up really, really sad. So that was another opportunity to remind her um, of her presence here in this life. And I think she did a similar thing. Um, I think she has a quartz that she keeps under her pillow. And since then, she's had great dreams. But I think it's sometimes just the conversation too and the awareness that, you know, we can control that reality to a certain extent and what we want to experience. Um, But she also did get a magic wand and hers is different. But the night before we went to pick it out, she had had a dream involving some friends that are very dear to us that often appear in her dreams and by no accident, because for whatever reason, they're very connected to her. Uh, She had a dream that they went to the magic store and that there were no more wands. There was only kind of like this darkish wand. And yeah, I thought that was so fascinating. I don't know exactly what it means. But she held her magic wand in this reality and she said, I can feel it. You know, I can feel the energy and I don't doubt that she can um, because I think that's definitely a thing. And with anything like that, whether they're stones or whatever, um, sometimes you kind of want to like program them right with your own energy or clear them. So I don't know exactly what she was feeling even from the store, but I don't doubt it. And so again, we don't have to understand it. Uh, Sometimes we might have questions for our kids, right? But we can accept it, accept what they feel, accept what they experience. All right, more water. Hmm, what else, what else, what else? So another story, and this is getting kind of long, but we did recently sacrifice our rooster. Many of you knew that he was being just a pain in the ass, beyond a pain in the ass. He was attacking people, me, the other kids. And it got to the point where we just couldn't even enjoy our chickens. You know, we were scared to go down there. And every morning I had adrenaline racing and running to let this stupid bird out. I feel like I gave a due time and I really do consider the rooster a teacher. So that's another 
I think, component of raising magical children is using the animals as our teachers as well, that there is symbolism. There's also just plain old lessons there. And my children were watching this, you know, um, watching me kind of figure out how I was going to deal with him and what my techniques were. And I would talk to him, you know, I'd go down there and be like, hey, uh, we need to work this out because if you want to live here, you got to behave, you know, like what, what's your deal? So even that open communication, you can just talk to an animal is something that is very commonplace in our house. And then when it came time to release him from his life uh, on this plane, we had that conversation and the kids were sad, no doubt, you know, we're not farm people really, like we're trying, but they're not used to that. They're not used to animals dying and and at this rate uh you know us killing the rooster like this was sort of out of their comfort zone and ever in particular was sad she didn't like the rooster but she kept saying I don't think we need to kill him like it was too violent for her and I totally appreciate that you know my husband too he sort of wanted nothing to do with it like this was mostly me but this isn't about that in the most superficial way. Like, yes, he needed to end his life. Um, and I tried to get rid of him. Nobody wants a rooster. So, you know, it wasn't our first option to make him dinner. But at a certain point, this is another conversation of being magical is that we all have a path and our paths intersect. And of course, you know, with humans, it's not like we're getting rid of the humans we don't like, um, but there are choices sometimes we need to make. And at a soul to soul level, we can converse and we can make it okay. And that was something that we did. So we went down to the rooster a couple of times and we talked to him and we let him know that we had really enjoyed him and we wished him the best on his next adventure. Uh, we had all kinds of chats about maybe what he'd come back as, you know, a couple of the kids were like, maybe he'll come back as a human. I was like, I don't know. Like, do you, is that an upgrade? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'll come back as. And then also explaining to them that like we can talk quietly soul to soul to a creature. You know that he's not a rooster. His soul isn't. His just, his body is. But soul to soul, we can have a chat and be like, hey, um, you know, this is where it ends. And no hard feelings. Like you were just being you. And that's what roosters do. But, you know, we're drawing the line here. And thank you. Thank you for your lessons. Thank you for your service. Uh, You were grown on this land. So making him dinner in that way is also really beautiful and symbolic, right? That he was grown on our land and he will go back to the land. So all of these things, which might sound intense or overwhelming if you have young kids and you're like, oh my gosh, how do you have those talks? Um, They're just part of life, you know? And I think that's another belief system. And and with Sable's anniversary yesterday, uh, that's something Ever has always known. You know, Ever was a baby when I was pregnant with Sable and when he died. And so even if she doesn't quite remember, these discussions have always been in her consciousness. And some people would say, oh, that's terrible. How could you do that? You know, you should shield your child from death. I don't think so. And Ever is so wise and has had so many lifetimes and is way wiser than me and has been a magical witchy medicine woman and priestess and all kinds of things in past lives. I know it, um, that she is okay. Like she is ready for this. And, 
And she is so happy to be supported. So supporting her in particular is just fantastic. Um, Doesn't mean I like her better than my other kids. Not at all. I love them all the same. But supporting this, her power, which is so like there, it's like on the surface, it's just who she is in this life has been such a joy and has taught me so much. She's also the kid that goes out and loves being on the land and had like a giddy, happy laugh attack the other day with things budding and just was like beyond her mind excited. Uh, In Arizona, you know, we didn't have that. So if that sounds crazy, she had never experienced spring, never seen it. Uh, Yeah, there's a couple of cactus that bloom in the desert, but not really too much more than that. So we have daffodils, wild daffodils blooming in the yard. We have wild garlic just sprouting up. Um, We have buds on the maple tree. She's just out of her mind excited because that's magic to her, like just nature, just things growing. She's such a little green witch. And I think that's really cute. I am not. uh, I'm all kinds of witchy, but plants are hard um, for me to grow. I love talking with them. I love hearing what they have to say. And she's also good at that. So um, let's see a couple more stories. Well, Amelia is quite connected and magical and for being almost 20 years old, really fantastic how she has maintained this childlikeness in the best way since she was young and really, really beautiful to see her developing as a young woman into her full self and embracing magic. In fact, right before she left for this last Sedona trip because that's where she is right now. Um, She even said to me like, I don't know what we were talking about. Maybe it was again going to this fun magic store that we found. Uh, She said something like, this is just normal for me. Like I grew up this way and it felt like the biggest compliment, you know, even though it's not really about me and she didn't even think about it. She's just like, this stuff is so normal. Like I grew up with gemstones. I grew up with plants and essential oils and herbal stuff. Um, you know, like not what's the big deal, but like she's so at home in that environment. So on her end, she has multiple, multiple decks of cards, all kinds of tarot and different things. And that's just something she gravitated towards, even as a young child. I remember her very first deck. It was a mermaid deck. She was really into mermaids. Uh, She thought she was a mermaid at one point when she was younger. She had a fake tail that she'd wear in the pool. I mean, it's funny, but it's also like not because... That's another form of magical creature, right? And she's so identified with it. It was just so precious. And I wish I could have appreciated it more uh, than I maybe did lugging around this giant mermaid tail every time we went to the pool. But she has maintained all kinds of magicalness in her nature. Uh, she is a green witch. She's really great with plants and they grow and she she knows what they need, which I don't know is something you can be taught. I certainly did not teach it to her, but she can feel what a plant needs. And maybe this is embarrassing her saying this, but uh, I don't know. Probably too many people aren't going to listen and go talk to her about it, but um, she'll know. She'll be like, oh, that plant's cold. And she's right. So I love supporting that. And I wish, um, you know, she was home to plant a garden because she would be my pick. She picked out a ring right before she left at this same store. And uh, she picked black tourmaline, which is a really great 
protection stone and similar to obsidian, like a, a repelling negative energy, you know, kind of thing. So it was beautiful. And I felt so honored and happy to buy her this ring. You know, she picked it out and I really wanted to get it for her. And she's been wearing it her whole trip. She sends me photos occasionally. Um, but, you know, having that uh, even just belief whether or not you really think it's true. Um, but to have the experience then of feeling that way and to know you're protected. And even as a parent, you know, raising magical children comes back to another belief, which is I'm not in charge of them. Like they were given to me to raise, but I can't protect them, especially when they're older and they're out on their own. Um, I have to trust the universe. I have to trust her divine plan. I have to trust in her magic to keep her safe and to keep her on her path. There's nothing I can do. So it's a really great feeling in a way to release that and not be a worry wart. You know, I think when she was small, I remember thinking, oh God, like when she goes out on her own or when she drives or whatever, like the minute she's away from me, how am I going to cope? Um, I'm going to be so worried. I mean, what if this happens and what if that happens? And I have to say, I do not feel that way as a parent. I feel really blessed and lucky that, yeah, she's a responsible child. So there's that. I mean, she's not out doing reckless stuff, but you know, accidents happen too. And I've just really learned to let that go and trust that she is divinely protected and she has the skills to also protect herself. So I won't lie. Um, anytime my kids go anywhere, I do put them in a bubble. I do put them in a bright bubble of light when they're in the car and imagine them coming home safely. And she knows that for herself too. You know, if she gets in the car with someone or even if she's driving or flying on an airplane, you put an energetic bubble around yourself. That's just part of being a magical person is protection. Hmm. I'm trying to think what else. Um, yeah, all kinds of other things, I guess. Raising magical children is honoring the land. Even if you have a tiny little plot of land, you know, this is the first time we've had any to speak of. And it's not even a whole lot, but caring for it and giving offerings, um, you know, giving things back to the land, whether it's things that can be kind of composted or saying a prayer out on the land or a blessing or having a fire and, you know, giving that back or whatever it is. Like these are core things that we're doing all the time uh, that we're teaching them that are part of our belief system, that are part of our life to as basic as take your shoes and socks off, like the earth needs you and you need the earth. And that's how we reprogram ourselves. That's how we energize ourselves. These are all just parts of being magical. Um, again, it's the reminding. It's the reminding so that when they're older, they don't have to go back to square one like so many of us and live in the city for 20 years and then be like, oh, I forgot. I didn't know being on the earth was so healing. Um, you know, all my health problems are gone. All I'm sleeping better. Like, oh, yes, this is right. This is because the earth is our mother. So we do all kinds of uh, seasonal celebrations. Um, I talked about our solstice celebration on a podcast you know, spring equinox is coming up. That's a whole other thing. And even if you didn't celebrate, you know, particular days, just the change of seasons. And that's something really beautiful about being here in Kentucky that we're getting a whole new world of practice in. And I'm really enjoying that. You know, how can we really invite in this season? And winter was a first for us. So new activities, different schedules, different honoring of 
the weather, um, noticing the sun, you know, noticing the moon, being aware of when there's a new moon, when there's a full moon, like this is just how my kids have grown up. And, uh, you know, not to say they're experts at moon phases or anything, but the older girls especially are very tuned in. And, you know, their cycles line up with the moon, which I think is just a natural part of being in tune. Along with the land, um, we do have a spirit of the land. I dreamt of her one night and she told me her name is Evelyn, which means life, which was just sort of fantastic to figure out because I didn't know that in my head. Um, So even that, talking about how we have protection, how there is a spirit or spirits perhaps that protect us in our house. Our kids have been worried on and off about tornadoes because tornadoes are not something we've ever had. Um, They have been sort of wacky, like we had one in December, as many people know here in Kentucky. So, you know, wild weather and and that understanding, too, that, yes, we protect ourselves, but also that Mother Earth is able to do what she would like. And we don't control her and we don't try to control her or the weather, Um, but we do our best to ground in our own energy and know that we are divinely protected. Again, that everything will be all right. I think that is just a really basic belief. And maybe you think that's magical. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's just like common sense to some people. But I think that definitely runs counter to a lot of things people are taught. Uh, let's see a couple last things that I mentioned, animals being really important communication. Um, so, you know, just getting kids to notice, that's all. You don't have to know everything. Like I'll often look it up. Hey, what does a skunk mean? I have a skunk hanging out in my office somewhere. I know that sounds crazy. I don't know where it's probably like in the walls or something. Um, so, you know, I need to look that up. What is skunk medicine? (laughs) What am I needing right now? And again, that's commonplace in our house. So nothing is by accident. And that's another belief, you know, nothing is by accident. Nobody's out to get you. The universe isn't trying to hurt you. Um, Bad things don't happen. Like things happen and everything has a reason. And so animals, of course, are fun, especially for young kids. Uh, Like just this morning, Ever was like, oh my gosh, there's a cardinal, you know, and she knows that cardinals often symbolize someone from the other side saying hello. So I thought that was pretty awesome timing considering the whole Sable thing yesterday. Um, But just little things like that, you know, where there is deeper meaning that it isn't just an animal flying by and that there's always a message. And little kids, of course, may not gather all that, but they can start to notice. They can start to notice what they see and where. And as they get older, kind of figuring out what that might mean for them. That's really just a part of being a magical person is uh, really recognizing and and living in a way that demonstrates we are all connected. I think I'll leave off on a roomy note since I haven't mentioned him at all. And of course, I didn't mention a lot of the other kids, but this is just what came to mind today. The most recent stories in our house. Uh, But Rumi is super magical, of course. Many of you know that. (laughs) Um, I have a podcast out there after he was born called The Magical the magical tale of Rumi's soul or something, if you haven't heard it. And it's a reflection on his birth and just like the crazy lessons and synchronicity and divinity of his whole birth and situation. Like it was not an accident, any of it. And I wouldn't be sitting here in Kentucky right now if it hadn't been for that whole experience. Um, He is, as my friend Amber would say, uh, she's, as I mentioned, a womb shaman and she's a channel as well. Um, 
he's a technician, you know, he, he is from some other place. He has amazing skills and tools on an energetic level. It was all perfect. His birth, it was orchestrated in a way that was needed for himself and for me and for our family. Um, and as a little guy, you know, he's not even talking yet. He will hold things that resemble magic wands and, Instead of using them for other things, he will hold them up and kind of walk around. And we have so many videos of him doing this. And we just laugh because we know that he's kind of back at home. You know, he's in a baby body, but he's just doing what he's here to do and kind of working with people's energies, which he's really amazing at. Um, Even as a tiny baby, you know, I can think of a couple of instances uh, involving pregnant women clients I had where he would like lock eyes with them and communicate with them, I swear, and their babies. Um, And that might sound crazy, but I knew, and he still does it, but I knew then that when he did that, he was like working something. Like it wasn't just locking eyes to lock eyes. It wasn't just to see into someone's soul that he is like shifting something with them for them, whatever you want to say. And so that it's a valuable medicine. And so I won't lie, I've purposely brought him along at different times, uh, different points in time to different people, um, just for him to be present because his magic is is something I don't even really understand. It's not anything I've covered today. So to be continued on the roomy front, but just a cute little story. He really loves fire. So yes, you have to be careful with that. But I've never had a kid that loved fire as much as he does. Um, And he's not a fire sign, although his rising, for whatever that's worth, uh, is Leo. So he does have a fire rising sign. But it doesn't matter. I think regardless of like our sun sign, for example, we are attuned to one of the four elements more than the other. And that's another thing in raising magical children is figuring out what they're attuned to and sort of where their weaknesses are. I don't know where his weakness is quite yet, but his um, attunement for sure is to fire. So maybe I'll put that photo on this podcast, but it's him watching out the window last night as a fire was lit for the grill, just being totally mesmerized, like wanting to touch it. And, And I don't think he would. And of course we wouldn't want him, but his one word is hot, hot, which I think is so hilarious. It's his only word. Ah, man, magical children. They really are so glorious and I wouldn't have it any other way. I absolutely adore each and every one of them, all 10 of them, and actually 11, including Sable, even though he's not here in earth form. Um, He was magic. He is magic. And his lessons have rippled out for me and for us. But the 10 that are here are inherently magical, whether they know it or not. And as those talents and abilities and, and like I said, attunements come forth in their lives, we will be happy to support them. And if they don't, if people choose a less magical path, that's fine. Uh, They will all do what they're here to do. And again, that's another way of supporting magical children is just allowing everyone to be as they are and not forcing anybody into boxes. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback on this podcast. You can always get me at marin at indiebirth.org. Have a great day.